Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Drone Life News. Joining me, as always, is the famous editor-in-chief of DroneLife.com, Miss Miriam McNabb. Miriam, how are you doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Always happy to be here. Happy to be here as well. And for everyone listening out there, we've got some important updates in the news this week. In fact, that blue SUAS issue, well, it might have just been solved, which really brings us to our first piece of news. As it seems like the blue SUAS list of, well, approved quote-unquote drone models for the domestic American market might just be getting that necessary expansion. Miriam, excuse me, uh, (laughs) what's the story here? So I don't know if it's solved the problem, but at least it has definitely been making progress. So uh, the DUI, the Defense um, Innovation Unit, DIU, sorry about that, has announced um, Blue SUAS 2.0, and that's a list of 11 vendors. Now, in this case, the previous Blue SUAS list, Blue SUAS 1.0, was a list of only five uh, drone models. Models, not approved manufacturers, but approved drone models. And that was problematic. It was problematic really because the General Services Administration of the U.S. picked that up and said that you couldn't purchase um, drones under kind of ongoing contracts unless uh, they were included on the blue SUAS list, obviously a limited list. So blue SUAS 2.0 is uh, what the DIU is describing as a pilot project. And that pilot project is designed to develop a new prototype for onboarding approved drone technology. So again, it's a pilot project. It's not a done deal, but it is sort of moving in the right direction. It does demonstrate demonstrate an effort to expand that list of approved drones to provide um, a good and reasonable way for new drone technology providers to get themselves tested, get themselves on the list um, to ensure that their drones, if they do meet the requirements, are included uh, on the list of kind of drones approved by the GSA for purchase. Now, I think it's really awesome uh, that there's finally uh, this system to really review and uh, and uh, investigate other alternatives and options because it seems like a lot of the existing models uh, are limited in scope and even availability. So it was exciting to really see Wingtra on there. It was also very exciting to see Easy Aerial and Easy Aerial was uh, actually one of those drones was developed by one of our previous drone you instructors so excited uh, to see that and excited that there's a new system and uh, hopefully no one has a DUI at D. IU. <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, yeah, it is so many great um, US-based drone manufacturers, new ones coming out all the time. So really good to, to um, see a way of kind of providing that level playing field so that all of them can present their offerings for government purchase. Totally, totally. No, I think it's really good. I think it's a positive step in the right direction and excited that 
they got the uh, the ball rolling, as uh, this has been a topic that we have discussed a few times before. So glad that there are changes uh, in the works. Now, speaking of changes in the works, this brings us to our next story. Many of you have probably heard of the Chula Vista Police Department as they have, uh, well, they've attained more waivers to fly drones and have been really pushing the envelope in how public safety has been using drones. But now it seems like they are doing even more to keep their flight records and data as transparent as they can be, which is probably a touchy and uh, controversial subject as the reporting efforts are vastly different depending on how any given public safety department operates, whether they operate under a COA, which there are reporting standards for, or if they operate under 107, which there are no reporting standards for. So Miriam, what's uh, what's this transparency for police departments and uh, and what's specifically going on at Chula Vista? So this is an interesting story. I think Chula Vista has always been interesting to watch because they were among the first to develop that drone as first responder kind of program. They really did sort of push the envelope and serve as a pilot project for uh, drones in police. And they've done a really good job in trying very hard to communicate with their local community, their local stakeholders about how they're using drones to educate people in advance of um, using drones in the community. And so they're they're really trying to kind of set a standard for responsible drone use, drone use that is transparent to the community, drone use that sort of makes their community comfortable with the fact that they're using drones for their benefit. So this announcement was simply that they were using now um, a product called Air Data to provide reporting to the community, to provide transparency about where they are flying in the community. And I think that the real message here is um, Chula Vista has been kind of setting standards for how drones are used uh, in the public safety world. Um, again, they were one of the first to implement that sort of drone as first responder type of program. They've received a lot of waivers and support from the FAA to test out new ideas. But at the same time, they were very early to recognize that without community support, they weren't going to be able to to use these drones to their best advantage. They weren't going to be able to utilize drone technology to to its capacity. So I think that this is their next step in sort of providing real tools to give transparency to the community. And it will be interesting to see if other departments um, adopt similar technologies, either either the one that Chula Vista is using or other ones, to provide that level of transparency to the community. As you pointed out, and um, you know that's uh, something I wasn't aware of, as you pointed out, there are sometimes standards for reporting and sometimes there aren't. So to some extent, you know, these police departments, um, if they're trying to provide full transparency, they're actually doing more than what an FAA or authority standard would require. So they're just saying, hey, we want to put it out there for our community. We want um, everybody to know what we're doing so that they can support us. 
Yeah, it's very, very interesting to say the least. And, you know, kind of hitting that subject of reporting standards, you know, it is really all over the place. I mean, even if you think about public safety agencies flying under a COA, currently there's no guidance as to how to do training for new pilots legally under that COA. They would actually have to do it under 107. So, you know, there's so, it's almost like a classification tree of, you know, if you fly under a COA, do you do this, do that, do this, do that. So, um, I think it is good that they are they are kind of trying to uh, to maybe set the standard or just maybe be more transparent. Um, but I also wonder, uh, you know, what does the transparency cover? Does it also cover things like uh, training flights and whatnot? Because you know, for officers who are really learning to fly and whatnot, there's got to be a little bit of margin of error so that they can, uh, you know, not be judged. I guess, in their training process so that they can make mistakes and learn from them. So that way, when they're in the field, they're making the right decisions. So I think overall, great, right? I also uh, also curious as far as uh, where this transparency starts and ends. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So, um, you know, I think Air Data gave um, some examples. There were some good images included uh, to show you the kind of um, information that they are providing. You know, obviously, as a public safety agency, you have to balance the safety of your officers and ongoing, you know, an ongoing mission and transparency to the community and so forth. But again, just to to go back to that, I think that Chula Vista has done a really good job of saying, hey, we're putting, um, you know, our community first, we're saying, listen, we want you to be comfortable. We want to be fully transparent about what we're doing. We want you to know what's going on. And uh, probably that requires setting their own standards, which may evolve over time. And, um, you know, we'll see how many other agencies adopt them. I think you make a very good point. You know, you're in the trenches, sort of training public safety agencies, trying to figure out exactly what to tell them on what what they can and can't do. And, and, you know, throughout the drone industry, we're really in this, in this sort of gap period, right? We're developing regulations very, very quickly. Um, I know it doesn't seem like that to people, but, but compared to historical processes with new technology, uh, the drone industry, the FAA is really developing regulations very quickly. And there are bound to be things that sort of get worked out along the way. <laughs> it's not what anybody wants to hear, but it's the truth. It is, it is definitely the truth, Miriam, definitely the truth. Uh, well, moving on to our next piece of drone news. Miriam, it seems like I got to just take credit here really fast, but it seems like we were right in our prediction that Amazon (laughs) would be utilizing their drone delivery service to onboard more local and regional stores and suppliers and utilizing their last mile delivery, their drone delivery to really support uh, more, well, should I say, um, more merchants through the Walmart network. And it's really interesting to see that Wing is now developing, it looks like drone hubs on top of malls. So Miriam, what's really going on here with Wing bringing drone hubs to malls? I mean, we knew about Amazon's, you know, Bumblebee Nest idea and everything that they were doing, (laughs) but it sure seems like Walmart has been crushing Amazon when it comes to the reality of drone delivery. So what's going on here? 
Okay, so we got Walmart, we've got Amazon, and then we've got Wing, which is what we're talking about today. And I got to say that Wing, I think, is – this is kind of just makes so much sense, right? So uh, one of the problems with drone delivery, and you and I have had this conversation, you know, Walmart, you got your supply near your customer, right? They have this big advantage. Everybody's near a Walmart. With Amazon, you've got a few big distribution centers, but you've got to get that supply closer to your customer in order to make sort of last mile delivery practical. What Wing has done is is sort of the best of both worlds. It said we're going to support many, many merchants by just going to the roof of shopping malls where all the different merchants already are. So much sense. I don't know what roofs of shopping malls are currently used for in my neighborhood. I don't think much. I think that is pretty much available space. And it really does uh, It allow smaller merchants uh, maybe not part of a big chain, maybe not not um, people who can afford a big investment to utilize drone delivery for their customers in a really easy way. Very convenient, um, works well, uh, you know, it, it's centralized, just makes so much sense. So they're testing this out in Australia, which is um, currently sort of the drone delivery capital of the world is a suburb of Australia where um, – where Wing has started their operations. And uh, boy, I kind of think maybe coming soon to a mall near you because everybody lives somewhere close to some mall. So <laughs> somehow this could really be a great way to get uh, drone delivery from a wide variety of merchants to support not just kind of the Starbucks, but also the the local coffee merchants, you know, not just the large clothing stores, but maybe some of the smaller ones, too, in a lot of different areas. Thank you also for the correction. I uh, erroneously say, you know, compared uh, Walmart and Wing together, and I totally drone delivery. We're always yeah. talking about yeah, drone I know, delivery. I know. So but thank <laughs> you for show. correcting me nicely. I, I do appreciate that. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting. Like you said, utilizing existing infrastructure like a central hub of stores and provide a standardized delivery mechanism to empower those stores to deliver faster. I mean, we all know when we have increased convenience that purchasing uh, tends to increase along with that convenience. So I have to say it's uh, it's really interesting. I would really love to see more of this in the United States. You know, I know a lot of these companies, even domestic based companies are having to go abroad to test this stuff. And uh, it really is reminiscent of the beginning days of aviation, you know, with the Wright brothers developing the first airplane and because of United States regulators, they couldn't even sell it uh, here in the United States. They sold the first one in France. So the uh, the pattern of history continues here, Miriam, but uh, it is exciting nonetheless. It really is. And, you know, I wrote an article a couple years ago, uh, sort of why I thought um, – beyond burritos <laughs> why food drone delivery when you're delivering pizzas and you're talking about delivering starbucks coffee and you're delivering these things why does that matter you know because it's easy for us to think about hey you know zip line out in africa delivering blood samples they're drone delivery heroes you've got wing copter doing great work you've got um 
you know, UPS doing great work on medical campuses, all kinds of great work being done to deliver sort of health supplies and life-saving supplies. But really delivering things like Girl Scout cookies and library books and coffee like Wing has done may be sort of the average suburban American's first experience with drone delivery in a positive way. Like, hey, there's a drone in the sky. It's coming to me for my benefit. It hurts hurts nothing gets me my coffee I have something familiar mixed with something different I do think that there's a real purpose for this um, in terms of community acceptance of drone technology which uh, you know can do way more than deliver burritos but if delivering a burrito is the way you get somebody to say hey drones are okay it's totally worth it well I could easily argue that unless you're in New Mexico Texas or Colorado the quality of your burrito is probably not as good as it could be. <laughs> um, you know, we're not even going to argue that. <laughs> I want to come out there and eat Mexican food with you. <laughs> we're not even going to. I have maple syrup. We have maple syrup out here in New Hampshire. <laughs> Maybe uh, they'll start delivering waffles. So, uh, <laughs> But, you know, one thing that comes to mind, one ancillary point to kind of tack on to this this uh, particular topic is, you know, with DOJ and the FAA not really enforcing uh, 18 USC 32 in uh, the destruction of an aircraft, and now that drones are considered aircraft, uh, it makes you wonder if drone delivery here in the United States will spur the enforcement of people not shooting down drones or damaging drones. I really wonder if that will be the catalyst to actually have a very uh, defined and uh, official representation from our government as far as what is okay and what is not, because I think that uh, people are still dealing with this issue as a whole. So I think it could be, you know, drone delivery could be really great for suburbanites, but I also think it could be good for us drone pilots if there is an incident with someone saying, hey, I saw Amazon's drone coming in, the box looked bigger than normal, thought I was going to get a TV, shot the drone down, you know, and now the, the government gets involved and finally says once and for all, you cannot shoot drones out of the sky. So uh, I know that's not the, uh, I know that wasn't in your article at all and kind of just spitballing here, Miriam, but I do wonder if, if that would uh, be a good thing for us drone pilots. Look, I have heard the argument over and over again, I have to say that I believe it has merit, that the more drones are in the air, the better off all of us will be because the more, you know, we will have the opportunity to meet those occasions that are outside of the norm, uh, for good or for bad. We never want anything, you know, bad to happen to anybody, <laughs> you know, to anybody on the ground, to any of the pilots, to any of the drones. But the more that we are able to kind of get up in the air um, with with the best sort of safety equipment and safety procedures that we possibly can and meet kind of these extraordinary circumstances and then work out what should happen in those extraordinary circumstances, the better off we'll all be. And that that has just had to happen with every single new technology um, that has ever been, been developed. And so, 
you know, I think that uh, the more we get to fly, the more we learn, the more we're able to fly safer and, and fly better. And the more that the communities around are able to realize the benefits. So, you know, never want to wish for a bad situation, but I do think that, you know, the more you're in the air, the better off everybody is. And if one person has to lose a burrito or coffees for us to get the government to say you can't shoot drones <laughs> out of the sky, I think it's a worthwhile thing. So. <laughs> Somebody trying to steal the caramel macchiato. <laughs> Darn it, I wanted whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted a grande. <laughs> Oh man, but that brings- All right, we're only joking. We know it's not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, you know, the airspace getting uh, more congested with more drones, I think will definitely prove just how safe we really are. And that also brings us to our next story as the days of just blissfully buying a drone and flying it wherever you want may slowly be coming to an end as there's more and more airspace monitoring going on. Miriam, what is this story all about and what's going on here? So the the story, the the um, original headline of the press release that I got was really very clever because they tied in their event. So Monday night football. But the point is that um, you know we're we're seeing every big event take into consideration now that they need three-dimensional security, that it's not enough to have security guards on the ground um, checking, and it's not enough to have sort of CCTV cameras around, but you also need to protect that airspace over the Monday night football game or the Olympics or, uh, you know, the U.S. Open or whatever the event may be. So I think <laughs> we are learning that you need airspace monitoring over the U.S. Open, have we not? So I think that, um, you know, that's really the point of the story is, is that there's a company offering airspace monitoring uh, over Monday Night Football. And um, stadiums are implementing this in advance of large events. But I really think that we're just going to see this as normal security procedure for any sporting event, any big concert, um, any large, you know, conference, whatever it is, that the idea of three-dimensional security, I guess I'm not sure I'm expressing that correctly, but you know what I mean, that you need to bring your security up into the airspace also is becoming the norm. No, definitely. It made me think, though, and I'm just getting creative at this point, but it made me think, at what point are we going to run into the issue that we go to an NFL game and they've got drone delivery? Like, I want my pizza and beer, you know, and, it, and I, I can get that. Right, but then we got to make sure all the other bad drones don't come in and differentiate from the good and the bad. I mean, it's uh, it's quickly going to get to that point. But uh, I, I, I think air- it, that, that's absolutely the the point of airspace monitoring, though. You know, airspace monitoring is not block all the drones. Airspace monitoring is authorized and not authorized i got the beer drone is okay the guy trying to take a picture 
<laughs> over here of some random player or to steal the ball is not okay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we, uh, it's definitely uh, going to get exciting in the years to come. That is for sure. Well, Miriam, thank you so much. This show was a lot of fun. I really appreciate, uh, you know, doing this with you every week. And, uh, and I just have to say thank you again. My pleasure. See you next week. Sounds good, Miriam. And thank you to all of you listening, watching, commenting. I do greatly appreciate having you here. If you are a Drone You member, you can now comment on the news shows in our new app, which is actually, I'm, I'm surprised it's doing very, very well as far as engagement is concerned. So thank you to everyone who supports the show and supports Drone You. Drone You was built to help you live the drone life. So thank you so much. And I know that dronelife.com is, is also made to help people uh, do the same thing, Miriam, right? It's very lucky that we're friends and he hasn't sued us over the use of the name Drone Life because I think he wrote his book and we started our site right about the same time. Yeah, this is a this is a good opportunity to showcase to people that, you know, you can build friendships and relationships and work through these things rather than <laughs> fight and have lawsuits because i mean we have sued people for using the name drone you and we've won every single case and it's just like so you know what i think it's just a good lesson in today's divided arena of america that you can work together with people and miriam i'm grateful for you and i'm grateful that that's never even become an issue. So, and I appreciate you bringing it up on the show too. So, <laughs> get out there and have fun, people. Come on. <laughs> There's enough pie for all of us, as they would say. So, it's not about taking a bigger slice of the pie, it's about making the pie bigger. But, that's right. That's, that right. that's going to do it for us today. Thanks again for joining us on another edition of Drone Life News. <laughs>